Hello and welcome to the Stephen D. Snyder Show. I am your host, Mr. Snyder. I hope you are doing well. Welcome. Welcome to my program. Oh man, I can't believe God, I've been doing podcasts for a long time, but we, you know, I've redone the Stephen D. Snyder show. This is the second time I've revamped it, and I can't believe some of the guests we've had completely kick ass. And tonight's guest, you're gonna really, really like uh, tonight's guest. This guy, he's talented, he's smart, he's funny, he's a good guy. He's 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 in Hollywood. I mean, this is this is where the man's at. He was in Groundlings, Second City. He's producing his own documentary. I mean, he does it all. So Grant Gary will be joining us later on. But folks, I got to tell you guys, my first book, How to Be a Miserable Failure, The Complete Guide for Destroying Your Life, was a number one Amazon bestselling book, which actually sold out on Amazon. And by the way, you can go to stephendsnyder.com and purchase a copy of your book, How to Be a Miserable Failure, The Complete Guide for Destroying Your Life. So just so you know, you can actually go do that. So I've also been working on another project since completing that book and that book launching last year. There's another book I'm working on, which deals with wokeness, political correctness, and cancel culture. Now, Cancel culture and this woke ideology is run by a group of Nazi authoritarian control freaks who basically want to run and control and dominate every single aspect of your life. And this <laughs> this just came out today, this new thing. And I got to tell you, folks, you're going to love my book. Uh, you are absolutely going to love the book that I have put together for you. And that is going to be coming out very, very soon. Just talk with the publisher. My editor just got it done and it is on its way to being published. So I will tell you guys when that book is coming out. But <sighs> six Dr. Seuss books won't be published because of racist images. This is from the Associated Press. Six Dr. Seuss books, including And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street and If I Ran the Zoo, will stop being published because of racist and insensitive imagery, the business that preserves and protects the author's legacy said Tuesday. So they're canceling Dr. Seuss. Remember, folks, these people are fucking psychotic Nazi nuts. And they think everything is offensive and everything deserves to be canceled. Now, before I, before I go back to reading this, you know, look at woke comedy. I mean, these snowflakes would have no concept on, on how to deal with Sam Kinison and Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and George Carlin and Andrew Dice Clay from the, I mean, uh, from the eighties, no one, they would lose their fucking minds. You can't have comedy like that. You can't have comedy like that. See, everything's racist, offensive, sexist. These people are fucking psychotic, okay? And you have to tell them no, and you have to tell them to fuck off, okay? That's me. I'm telling all of you woke snowflake pussies to fuck off. I'm pretty pissed off about this. This is my line in the sand. You're not going to control our speech. You guys can go to hell. So anyway, let's get back to Dr. Seuss. They say ceasing sales of these books is only part of our commitment and our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss Enterprises catalog represents and supports all communities and families. Now, the last time I checked, I when I'm reading Dr. Seuss uh, to my children, I don't think of race. 
I think of cute little characters and I think of cool little animals and little fairy troll magical people and, and make believe little lands and islands and, and stories. I'm not thinking about fucking race. I, I, they go on to say, Dr. Seuss Enterprises listed and took feedback from our audiences, including teachers, academics, and specialists in the field as part of our review process. Yeah, authoritarian control freaks. We then worked with the panel of experts, yeah, bullshit, self-proclaimed experts, including educators to review the catalog of titles. And the thing that I saw on Mulberry Street, an Asian person is portrayed wearing a conical hat, holding chopsticks, and eating from a bowl. Well, let's put it this way. If you didn't draw the Asian person like that, wouldn't that just be Americanizing the Asian culture? Isn't that racist and insensitive and offensive in and of itself to portray um, certain Asian groups as American? Is that what we're going with now? Look, the fact of the matter is there is absolutely nothing wrong with showing a cartoon of an Asian man wearing a Asian style hat eating food with chopsticks. Because guess what, folks? In China and many other parts of you know Asia, they eat with chopsticks over there. There's nothing offensive or racist about that. <sighs> so they're canceling them. So essentially, a group of these Nazis, and that's what they are. These people would have done very, very well in Hitler's Germany. They're Nazis. They want to control every single aspect of your life. Cancel this. You're woke Nazi fascists. Everything is not offensive. Sit down, shut the fuck up, and we're not going to we're not going to cancel Dr. Seuss. As a matter of fact, I'm going to buy some Dr. Seuss books. I'm going to buy the six that were banned. Matter of fact, I probably even have some of them. So anyway, Dr. Seuss is getting canceled. And again, when they say they're experts and they're educators, folks, 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 these are radical authoritarian control freak leftists. That's what they are. Now, don't even get me started on some of these uh, conservatives on the right. Okay. They, they have a, I have another problem with them just on another, uh, other issues, but the left, they are not liberal ladies and gentlemen. They are the last thing from liberal Okay, whatever happened to the left? You know, they used to believe in freedom and liberty and, you know, free love and spirit. No, 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 no. Now it's top-down, iron-fisted authoritarianism. That's what it is. Folks, this is Brave New World meets Plato's Republic meets 1984 meets Animal Farm. That's what we're living under, folks. That's what we're living under. Now, remember, I have a book coming out, which I cannot wait to share this with you folks. But it will be coming out, and I will be addressing Dr. Seuss as well as many other things that have been happening in culture. Again, folks, tell these people to fuck off. We're not going to stop. We're going to keep reading Dr. Seuss. It's not racist. It's not offensive. It's a children's book. Anger level is at about 150 now. Well, with me, we, we have him on the line. With me is, is my guest, Grant Gary. This guy... This guy is an entrepreneur. He is a uh, he's a comedian. He is a documentary filmmaker. Um, he owns his own business. Uh, this guy really, really does it all. Grant, how you doing tonight, buddy? Good. I'm. This is exciting. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. So, you know, you are in you are in the thick of Hollywood, and I know you've been doing you know a lot of improv. Are you still doing improv in Hollywood? Uh, yeah. So I was um, I was doing Groundlings for a while, and then I was at I was performing last year at a place called the LA Connection, which was really fun. And then I got cast in um, Sweeney Todd the musical. Um, at the Fremont Center Theater in Pasadena, which is actually owned by uh, James Reynolds. He's the, like one of the longest uh, running actors on um, Days, Days of Our Lives, if I remember correctly. He owns that theater. Um, and so I actually kind of got out of improv, which I had been doing pretty regularly um, and when I got cast in that musical. And then we did the musical, and it was great. And then I was going to do another show at that theater, and then the pandemic hit. So um, it's pretty much been me uh, making videos in my basement uh, this last year. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, it's so it's such a small world because uh, that theater you're talking about, I, (laughs) I met a guy, his name, uh, his name was Joe. And um, I used to work with his sister way back in Illinois. And when I had first moved out to L.A., I actually met with him. This is a funny story. This is a true story. I met with him over at that Pasadena Playhouse, and he was directing um, something with Paul Rubens. So so this is the funny part. I kind of came walking in in like this tank top. And at the time, you know, I'm like 27 years old. I'm all tan. And um, Paul Rubens, like thought that I was there for him, like as at like, like for sex. And he kind of, he kind of was like looking me up and down. And I mean, very, very, very professional guy. Um, I well, it was, it wasn't awkward or anything. It was kind of funny. Um, cause I know he's, he's Shakespearean trained. So, uh, that was my experience, uh, at that particular location that Paul Rubens, you know, he actually thought that I was there for sex. We know Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens was actually a groundling. He actually studied at the Groundlings Theater um, uh, years ago. And I know when I was taking classes there, um, one of my instructors had told me like that's where he created Pee Wee Herman that we all know. Uh, to and I grew up loving Pee Wee Herman, and I just think uh, it's such a great character. But that's a what a funny story. Yeah, no. And and you, you I brought it up so uh the the improv place that you performed at last, the LA Connection. I actually did improv there for about 2 years actually. Uh with Kent Scov and I think I made it up to yeah. level if I'm not mistaken, I don't know, it was like level 5 or 6 or something like that. Great experience, really funny people, uh just a great time and I I, I would highly recommend that place. Yeah. Oh, I had a blast there. And I, you know, actually a friend of mine from the groundlings, we kind of auditioned there together and started performing there. And it's a little different style of improv than I was used to with my groundlings training. But, um, it was a great place to, you know, we kind of say, you know, work out as, as actors. Um, it's a great place to work out and it's a great place to make new discoveries and characters. And, uh, it was a good, yeah, it was a good group of people and I had a really good time there. I'm kind of bummed that, you know, I wasn't there longer, but you know, I got cast in something else and that's kind of just how things go. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's Hollywood. I mean, you, you know, on one minute you're, you're doing theater 
Next minute you're doing dinner theater. The next minute, minute you're you're hitting the comedy circuit and you're doing open mics. The next minute you you know you get cast as a you know a co-star, and that's that's what's interesting about it. And you and I, you know, we've talked about this before. Is people in Hollywood, such as you and I, we wear many different hats. And right. you know, you're you're a small business owner. You you do comedy. You um, you're big into reading and writing. And uh, you know, you're doing a, a short. Or are you doing a short documentary right now, or is it a feature? It's a feature. Yeah, it's a full. It's a full length doc. We're shooting for uh, just a little little over an hour um, with the final cut. Um, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, I originally had my heart set on 90 minutes and then I just thought, you know, well, I don't know if we're going to hold everyone's attention for that long. And I want it to be, I want the pacing to be good. And, and you know how it is when you're editing something, it's, if it's not working, you got to trim some fat. And, um, so we're looking to be around a little over an hour now. Wow. No, that's, that's, that's perfect. I, I know I know exactly what you're going through. Um, I have a documentary that was a half hour long. It was a short. Um, the the I'm filming a doc right now that I'm I'm purposely trying to keep it under 40 minutes if I can because I'd like to submit it to the Academy for a short Oscar. So I'm trying to keep it under a 40 minute doc. But you know that's something um, people don't realize. You know when they're watching these documentaries and documentaries have become so big on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and, you know, YouTube. And, uh, people don't realize how much work, uh, actually goes into one and the amount of footage that you actually have to record. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty unreal at the end of the day. I mean, my, so my documentary, um, uh, it's called room for cream, the coffee experience. And, and basically, uh, what it is, is I want, I'm, I'm a big coffee enthusiast. Um, I don't consider myself, necessarily a, a bow tie wearing pretentious mustache connoisseur but um i'm just a guy that enjoys a, a good cup of coffee and enjoys a, a nice experience over a cup of coffee and so this journey that i set out on was well there's there's more here i want to discover what this is all about what is this experience i'm having i had a lot of questions and i just you know i i had been writing a um I've been writing a script for another like indie film that I wanted to produce and I just stopped and I followed my curiosity with this documentary and it took me to, I went, I went to Guatemala. I farmed coffee beans in Guatemala. I went to Washington DC. Um, uh, it took me all over the place. I met all these different people along the way. And, and that's really what it was about was it was about something so simple um, so simple as a cup of coffee that can make up for such a wonderful experience. And what I realized at the end of the day was the experience was the human interaction that I would have with other people. Like if you and I went out to, to dinner with each other, it would kind of just be about like paying, you know, once the bill comes, we, we, we pay for it and then we leave. Right. But if you and I were having a cup of coffee, the coffee could be done and you and I could be sitting there having a discussion hours beyond our coffee being completed. Right. So that's the part I wanted to tackle. You can watch any documentary and, and see how coffee is farmed and where it comes from. And, and that's not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to sort of touch on this sort of 
mindfulness aspect that you can have, this sort of being present in a moment and how you can do that over a cup of coffee with another human. And, and sadly, this last year, you know, we've not been able to have a lot of that. Um, and so I'm hoping, you know, when, it, when the doc comes out, that we are in a much better place in our, in our country where we can actually start going out more and remember that, oh, yeah, that's right. We can have these, you know, long-form discussions with other humans and actually enjoy each other's company and be present in a moment. Well, and you bring that up because we're missing that in this country, I think. And, uh, you know, where we saw, where at least I kind of see where you're going with and, and what I really like about it is it reminds me of the Seinfeld, right? Seinfeld, George and Jerry sitting in a, you know, coffee shop talking about, you know, coffee, talking about, you know, whatever. And it's, it's brilliant. It works. Uh, it's fun to watch. It's interesting, and you're right. It's it's bonding over that cup of coffee, and the coffee is almost like the glue that that held Seinfeld together. I mean, you could say the same thing about Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. I mean, he's basically the same character as George, but yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up because you know with Seinfeld, it was you know a show about nothing, and what that really meant was just guys sitting around talking. You know, drinking coffee, thinking about what ifs, hypotheticals, and they're just, you know, uh, they're pontificating and they're, you know, they're they're fantasizing and they're asking crazy questions. Who'd win in a fight between this person and that person? And it's over the cup of coffee, right? And it's not, and right, and and so it's not, it's not about the coffee, right? It's about the experience, and that's that's what I really wanted to kind of hone in on is is it's about the experience, and it doesn't have to be any one thing like for like your example with Seinfeld it was always just about something different whatever they were talking about in that moment that's what it was about and um and I think one's experience should be reflective of the self right so like if you're someone who enjoys read I read a lot of nonfiction, and so many of my coffee experiences are sitting having a cup of coffee while I read a nonfiction book you know, somebody else's might be uh, listening to music or, or you know, it's just part of their morning routine. Maybe they go out on their, on their front porch or their back patio. You know, there's, everyone has something, but it's not necessarily about the coffee. The coffee's great, but it's about their own personal experience. Yeah, yeah. And, you, you know, in the British have their cup of tea. And, you know, we kind of, we kind of stole that from them that we said, okay, we're going to take the tea. We're going to take, you know, a, a tea party and high tea, you know, at noon and, and we're going to, we're going to turn it into coffee. Um, so this documentary, I mean, how long is it taking you to film? Are you currently still filming then? So what we're doing right now is I'm doing a fun little sort of <laughs> COVID friendly portion of it. We're done with all the main interviews and all the traveling. Uh, we've gone to different coffee shops around town. Actually, one of our coffee shops here in um, in town is Jones Coffee Roasters, which was actually on an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. It's the one uh, with uh, Jay Leno uh, is the guest in that episode. And so uh, I was really grateful that we were able to um, film there. They're actually one of the main coffee houses in our film. But to answer your question... Um, yeah, so tra- we've done all the traveling and we've completed all the main interviews. And actually, what I'm having, what I'm doing right now is I'm actually having a, 
a few celebrities here and there send in uh, send in little videos to me um, about them sort of talking sort of social media style with their cell phone. Just I'm asking them to film um, just little videos telling me kind of how they how they experience what what their coffee experience is. And that and that part has been really fun for me. Um, and so I'm not going to. I'm not going to say at the moment who I who I have, but it, it's been a fun little, you know, I mean, you know, people when you're in L.A., you know, people or you've worked with people before. And so you feel a little comfortable approaching certain one, certain people. And um, and so that's what I've been doing. And that, and that part's been really fun because that's kind of a just a fun extra thing that we decided to add to the film. Uh, since we can't really travel and go to other people's houses and set up, you know, lights and the camera and everything for a, a tr- more traditional interview. So it'll be a fun little thing to edit in. Um, and that's where we are right now. You know, we're well into post-production and my editor has been working on it and it's, 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 I'm excited. Well, I'm you know, share it with everybody. Well, Marshall McLuhan once said the medium is the message and, you know, uh, people doing their own filming at home and I, mean, I can't tell you the last physical audition I've went on. I mean, even before COVID, I mean, 95 to 99% of my auditions were all EcoCast self-tape. So I definitely yeah. think, you know, how we film things and do it yourself. I mean, look, if you have an iPhone 12 and you have an iPhone 12 Pro and, you know, you're shooting in 4K, you know, you've got a you've got a yeah. wonderful video camera in your own hand, and I, I think that's 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 the nature of of Hollywood. It seems, you know, we can get into this next subject. It, it kind of seems that Hollywood is going digital, and the traditional way of doing things, like you got to be in New York or you got to be in L.A., uh, I, it seems like those days are over. I mean, definitely you want to be near a major metropolitan area for networking and things like that, but really you can do anything from anywhere it seems that like you know these days yeah it's it's sort of a blessing and a curse right because you don't have to worry about sitting in traffic stressing out necessarily about making it across taking a day off work or whatever you're doing to make it across town for you know a co-star audition where you say something like would you like more champagne (laughs) and then and then you get back in your car and then you're driving back for an hour and a half in traffic and you're saying oh i should have said that line better you you have the luxury of doing you know self-tapes which have been around for a while now but i think now more than ever we're seeing a lot of self-tapes but the curse of that is sort of the there's a couple things where one there's the curse on yourself which is like hey i can do as many takes as i want but that's the curse where you're like, well, how many, when, when do I know? You know, so I think you kind of got to give yourself a limit where you say, okay, I'm only going to do 10 max and that's it. And that's as good as it's, you know, I'm going to put everything into it and that's it or whatever your number is. Right. But then the other side of it is you're not, you're not being seen by a person in a room and there's no energy, you know, that energy that you have in a room where you're auditioning with other people that doesn't exist uh, when you're doing a self tape. I mean, in, 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 in certain cases it does, if you really can shine through, but there's a physical energy that you can feel when you're in a room with another human being and we kind of lose that. And so, and then there's also the side of like, 
maybe worry about it being so oversaturated. We're like, how many of these are they getting? Are they even going to watch mine? At least I knew when I was in the room that someone saw me with their own eyes. Yeah, it, it, we've lost, uh, the, and COVID has really brought out, you know, the recluse worse in people because really we've lost our sense of, of connection, right? Like, you know, talking about, you know, the coffee, you know, you can't just go get a cup of coffee anymore. There's a process. You got to wear a damn mask. It's stupid. Um, you, you know, you can't sit, you know, certain people, you, you can't shake hands. Is it an elbow bump? Is it a fist bump? You kind of have that awkward moment where, what do I do? I mean, we're, it seems like, and as great as these EcoCast self-tape auditions are, you're right. We, we seem to be losing that human to human interaction, um, which is very, very vital for psychological purposes and energy and, you know, just your, you know, that, that support system you need. And, you know, to your point, whether it's getting a cup of coffee or, you know, not being able to do that, but, you know, video chatting and, and doing things that way, there's, there's something that is missing in the form of, in, in, in that communication. I don't know. I can't really articulate it, but there's something missing. Right. And well, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly been a challenge and still is a challenge when, you know, the world as we know it was flipped upside down. And so many things that we were so used to were just taken away from us so suddenly. And, and one of those things that we probably took for granted was human interaction because it was just part of our daily life where it was, you know, maybe some, you know, just seeing people at work just being around other humans was, you know, for me, I think is so crucial to my overall disposition. I mean, I, I, I've certainly struggled, but I'm also a big proponent of mental health because I think if you don't have your mental health, you don't have anything. If you have your mental health, you have the greatest wealth is what I like to say. And, um, you know, finding ways to navigate I hate to say it because it's been said, said so many times, but finding ways to navigate this sort of new normal, which I, I would, I would venture to say is probably temporary. Um, you know, I think um, we're going to get to a place where a lot of things are going to sl- slowly start to come back as we as we knew it, and maybe some things won't, and maybe that's for for the best. But I, I think humans thrive when on on human interaction even i found it interesting i was reading in a book uh, actually one of the guys i interviewed for my documentary was saying that even for even for introverted people it's best to have breaks outdoors with other people and i found that very interesting for your sort of for your mental state it's good i read this whole book about um time it's called it's called when uh by by dan pink and and it talks a lot about that, like when you should do things, when you when the right time is to take a break in your work day. And there's science behind it that shows that people who do this, you know, are are happier. And all of a sudden, these things <laughs> that were used to be so easy for our mental health are now very challenging. <laughs> yeah, well, you and so, know, and so what do we do? Right. Yeah, it's it's and some of the logic is is just crazy um, behind this because they shut down the the beaches. Well, 
the number one thing that you need to do, anybody can tell you this, if you're feeling not so great, is to get outside and get some sun. So like during COVID at its height, they're shutting down beaches. It's like, no, no, no. You actually need to keep those open because people need that. And I always, you know, I always look at health and fitness um, as a three, you're going to like this. It's, I call it the kink in the hose theory. Okay. So you have three hoses that are connected. You have your physical hose, um, water's flowing through it, right? And then you have another hose, your spiritual hose. And then your third one is your mental hose hose. So unless you have all three of those that are not kinked, I mean, if you have one in one fraction of your life, if you have one part of that hose that's kinked, it's going to affect the other parts of your life. So the key is, is to keep those hose and keep the water flowing and not kink them. Oh, absolutely. I I, I love that. And I love that analogy because, you know, I'm, as you know, I mean, you and I used to see each other at the gym all the time. So I've always been a a guy that enjoys physical fitness. I love outdoors. I was a boy scout. I used to go hiking and camping and all that jazz. And I love the outdoors. I, I, um, I consider myself a very spiritual person. Um, and I, and I've encouraged people to, to be that, whatever that may be, you know, whether it's, you know, God or the universe or something, some higher power that you believe in, you know, I believe there's something out there, and I believe that in this this time where it's hard for us to be with other people, it's good to just sit sit down, connect to that higher power, whatever you you know, whatever you can find for yourself that works for you. Maybe meditating or or prayer, whatever it is. Give yourself some time to just sort of sit in silence and. And just see what you hear, you know, see what comes up, see what sort of emotions come up and give those weight. I think it's very important because you'll have a better understanding of yourself and maybe why you're feeling one way or the other. I mean, like, again, the year has been so challenging and it might have caused one, if not all of those hoses to have a kink in it. And so we got to look at ourselves and say, you know, we're where can I, where can I unkink one of my hoses, if not all of them? Yeah. And just like in, in Hollywood, I mean, we're, we're a jack of all trades and, you know, in, in Hollywood, I think you, you know, you could testify to this and I know for me, it was always like this, but whenever I was killing it on stage and I was doing well with improv and I was doing well doing stand up comedy, um, performing at the comedy store a couple times, which was great. Um, I found myself getting more auditions, booking more roles and then meeting new people. And it, you know, when, and that was when all of the facets of my life were just going perfect, right? When you're, when you're in that zone, that confidence kind of spills over to other aspects of your entertainment career. At least that's what happened for me. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, and it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It's hard to get, it's hard to get booked on anything really. I mean, but I, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction and putting it out there. And if you want to, if you want to call that, you know, woo woo, fine, whatever. But, you know, I believe in that sort of thing. And I just, I believe that whatever happens is supposed to happen. And, and I've, and I've seen a lot of that in my, uh, sort of 
career as an actor and a filmmaker where, you know, one door closed, but another one opened. And, um, you know, kind of to your point of having that flow when you are doing something and, and then you start booking more, you know, I, for me, it's always, it's always so gratifying to be on stage. You know, I was, I, I studied theater, I studied music theater and, um, it's always so gratifying for me to be part of a show, be part of a musical, be on stage because there's, there's just nothing like being on stage, like with you doing stand up. there's nothing like that live energy. And so for artist types, um, like us, we not only thrive on that, but we, we feel it so, so deeply in our body. And we say, once we get off that stage, we, we go home and we say, okay, well, where else can I do this? Yeah. What's the next, what's the next one? You know, I don't think we ever reach a point where we say, you know what? That was a good show. I'm done forever. (laughs) (laughs) You know? No, that no one's retiring. If you're in, if you're in entertainment, you're going to die doing entertainment. And that's what, that's what most people don't understand. I was arguing with a guy from SAG-AFTRA who before the merger was like, Oh, are you voting yes on the merger? And I was like, no, I don't need to. I'm already in after I'm already in SAG. And he's like, well, what about your, you know, retirement? The reti-? And I'm like, okay, come on, pal. No one, no actor is worried about their retirement. <laughs> so come on, get, no, you know, no one, no, no. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting, I remember that time because I, if I remember correctly, I, I joined the, well, yeah, I, I think I was in after first. And then I, I remember getting tapped heart lead on a film and joining SAG. I mean, this was probably like over 10 years ago now. Well, well over that now that I think about it. Um, and I, I remember questioning the merger. I mean, everyone was saying vote, vote yes on the merger. Um, but then I remember people were saying, but you know, how are they going to figure out the pension and health? And I didn't, you know, at the time I, I didn't really know much about it. And I, and I'm still, I'm still not too, too educated on how they've, uh, how they've incorporated all that together. So I can't really speak on that, but yeah, that was an interesting thing. What was the argument about? Were, were you being worried about your 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 retirement? Well, no, no. This was this was my logic, okay? Because I had I had worked my I did it the old fashioned way. Like I I worked three extra roles, but I mean I worked plenty of like non union extra roles. But I finally got three SAG vouchers. Then I paid like it was like three grand to join. I was so proud of myself and I was so happy. I like did it the old fashioned way, right? Then I came in, I came in, you know, across some money and then I joined, it was like 1600 bucks. I joined AFTRA. So when they called me and I'm, I'm not big into monopolies. I I actually think it was stupid that the screen extras guild allowed SAG to take them in because it took away all their power, which was dumb, but that's another story. That's just my opinion. Um, so when the guy from SAG called me up, I said, look, if you're going to refund my money that it cost me to join SAG, I will vote yes. And he said, well, you know, it's going to help your retirement. I said, well, it doesn't benefit me at all because now you're telling me that somebody who didn't have to do what I did and pay the dues to get into SAG, as long as they joined AFTRA. And at the time, literally anybody could have joined AFTRA. You could have been a plumber in Pittsburgh and you could have joined AFTRA. And now 
due to the merger, you're automatically SAG after it. And that was my biggest problem with it. And when he gave me that whole, well, it's better for your retirement. I blew this guy out of the water. I mean, I made him look like an idiot on the phone. I was like, most actors, like 95% of actors are worried about their rent. They're worried about putting food on the table. They're not worried about their fucking retirement. And he didn't say a word and said, had a good day, sir. I'm like, come on. Well, you know, you know, yeah, to to your point, it is, it is true. And I I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big finance guy. I I love, I love actually discussing personal finance and, and I'm, I'm a big stock market guy. And it's interesting because yeah, that part is true. What you're saying is most actors are worried about food on the table, rent, and whatever other, you know, necessary payments they need to make. And, um, the, yeah, the last thing they're thinking about is, you know, stocking away some money for retirement. But I, I remember thinking like, well, at that time I remember, you know, well, no one's going to do that for me. So maybe I should, maybe I should get an IRA or something. Right. And I should have something set up and, and there's some automation to that, to where I'm putting a little bit away for something like retirement. Right. Um, because there could be a year where you don't even meet the qualification. You didn't work enough in, in the industry. And so you don't qualify. So then you're not getting anything. And it's just, but like you said, yeah, it's, 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 um, that's not the first thing on the, I'm, I'm interested now cause I'm not, I'm not too, uh, well versed, unfortunately about what the, uh, you know, what the union's actually doing right now. I, I know that I pay my dues and it's funny you say that because, um, you know, <laughs> SAG is great if, if, if you're, if you're a, an actor benefiting from them, but, but they, they love to take your money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they, they're really, I always say, I always tell people this, uh, they're really not a union. They're a guild, uh, because if they were really a union, you know, they would be calling us for work. So, um, it's kind of like, you know, the way I look at a lot of these, the producers guild, the writers guild, um, the directors guild, the, the actors guild, they're kind of like little monopolistic organizations that the elites in Hollywood at the top have created to protect themselves and to eliminate their competition. Um, and, but you have to, in certain circumstances, play that game, you know, um, if sure. you're if you're if you're not SAG, they don't even want to see you or hear from you. If you're you know if you're if you're FICOR or whatever it is, and FICOR for the people out there who don't know, FICOR basically means that you've joined SAG and then you've renounced your membership, uh, so you can work non-union. Uh, so you know you're well, able to do yeah, that. Yeah, you know. And I have I have a lot of friends. I have a, a couple friends that are that are FICOR, and I'm not going to you know mention their names, obviously, but it's there. Even they say. You know, they'll admit there's a stigma around being FICOR. And the sad part is at the end of the day, and I love I love that I'm a card holding SAG after member. I love that. Don't get me wrong. Um, it was a great day. One of the like it was such a great day. I was so happy when I finally became a card holding member. But with artist types, all you want to do is work. That's all you want to do. Yep. You just want to work. You're passionate about the craft. And, you know, it's tough even. It's sad because I feel like in some ways it sort of stunts creativity 
of sort of younger filmmakers that are trying to maybe maybe do like an independent film, right? Like I've done a couple indie films that I've produced, but I found myself doing so much paperwork and doing so many things for the union. And I found myself with very little time to concentrate on story and character and character choices, because I also would act in some of these productions as well. And it was just a real challenge where, you know, I own, like you said, I own a business. I own a small production company where I, this is, that's how I do my films. Where I do my films through my LLC. And um, I love owning a business and I love being a business owner and doing the duties of the business owner. And it's just really challenging because it's a lot of work. It's just a lot of hard work. It's, it's good work. And ultimately at the end of the day, it's, 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 you know, it pays off, but you kind of find yourself in the middle of production and you're like, yeah, but couldn't we do away with like maybe 50% of this? You know, these people are just here to have a good time and they want to work and they're going to work hard because they're passionate about it. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to use an example. I don't know a good example, but it's not like, it's not like you're showing up to a job that you hate. Right. The hope the hope is that everybody showing up is someone who wants to be there because they're passionate about the craft. They're passionate about the art. And when you have that, I mean, people are going to work. They're going to do their job. And so all these other sort of logistical things that we're so worried about because somewhere along the line, it didn't work out for someone. Now there's a new rule in place for it. So we have to make sure that's covered. And this is it. I don't think it's reflective of. Of, of everyone that actually wants to be out there creating content. This kind of, that, and that, that's perfect. That ties into my, you know, my, my last question for you is, you know, where do you see Hollywood going in the next couple of years? Where do, where do you see the kind of path that Hollywood's going to take? I mean, where do you, where do you see us being in, you know, 2024, you know, where's Hollywood, what's Hollywood going to look like to you in your opinion? Mm. It's an it's an interesting question, and I, I haven't put a lot of thought. But what I will say is, you know, we see a lot of film. All the films that kind of get Oscar buzz, they have some sort of uh, maybe like a sort of like societal meaning or um, statement that they're trying to make. But then you know, you see these sort of original pieces that come along. And we're kind of like, oh, wow, well, that was fun because it was an original idea I hadn't seen before. Um, and we're seeing a lot more with, like we were talking about documentaries. I think um, these sort of sort of more micro looks at different parts of people's lives, I think, are really interesting. One of the reasons why I wanted to do a documentary um, and so I don't know, you know, to answer your question, I don't, I don't really have an answer, but I think we're seeing a lot of more original content, original ideas. Um, we might be straying from the more traditional, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I love a big budget action movie. I love just, you know, big budget in general, but I also like the, the sort of little smaller scale sort of, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? What kind of narrows in on just like one little thing. And, you know, it's, to me, it's impressive where, you know, we were talking about iPhones earlier, filming something on an iPhone. You know, it's impressive to me when you see um, what you can do with just a couple people and a couple cameras and a low, super low budget. Because if you have a star, I mean, we were taught in theater school, all you need for theater is a space and an audience. And if you have that, you know, I don't think that arts and entertainment are going to go anywhere, but I think there might, there might be some shift in that regard where we might think, you know, maybe it doesn't need to be a big, a big, literally a big production, but I could be completely wrong. I just, I've seen a lot of things that we see online now or on streaming platforms that are, on a smaller scale that we really invest in and we're really interested in. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I, I really don't know how to answer it though. Well, that's, that's perfect. Cause I, I love leaving people, you know, clinging on the edge of their seat. So Grant, where is, where's a good place for people to take a look at what you're working on your documentary and in your business? Where, where can people go to check uh, you out? That's a great question. Um, well, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. It's just Grant Gary, my name. Um, I'm starting to took, took, took this last year off a little bit and I've made my return. Um, I actually sell my own coffee blend. Uh, it's called Grant's Grounds coffee that I made during the documentary. It's on, uh, you can just Google Grant's Grounds coffee. It's on, um, my roasters through the Jones coffee roasters. So if you go to JonesCoffeeRoasters.com, go to blends, you'll find the Grant's Ground blend there. Um, and that's a combination of, I mixed, let's see. We did uh, Guatemala and Ethiopian uh, coffee beans to make that blend, and it's it's good. It's kind of like a uh, notes of chocolate and berries. Um, it's fresh and rich, just like me, as I like to say. <laughs> and uh, um, so there's that. Um, working on my website right now, GrantGary.com. That should be up and running <laughs> soon. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm not a big social media guy, but I do like, I do like Instagram. Um, you can look me up on IMDb. I think, uh, the trailer for the movie should be on there. The trailer for the movie is on my, um, my website, grantgary.com. So my last name has two R's, um, as well for those who are listening, G A R R Y. So, yeah. Grant, it's been great having you on my man. Come back. Definitely join us again. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Great. Thanks, Grant. Have a great day. Well, we certainly want to thank Mr. Gary for coming on the program. Check it out, folks. I mean, if if you're in the L.A. area, check him out. He's got his own coffee shop, his own coffee business. He does his own roasting in his own grounds. Very, very good coffee, high quality, and and by the way, really looking forward to his documentary he has coming out. Very talented guy, funny. Check him out on Instagram. He's extremely hilarious, and he's very talented. He's always singing, and he's he's doing all these skits. Very, very, very creative. So, Grant, thanks for coming on the program. Appreciate it, buddy. But, folks, that's it for me. I've got to go. I've got to go calm down, maybe have a cocktail, and uh, watch a little Seinfeld. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Stephen D. Snyder Show. And remember, America is not a rest home. Good night. <laughs>